So um, first, before, before I start, I just want to say thanks to uh, Mr. Robert Grisham, who preached uh, for me the past two Sundays, and uh, he did a great job. And if you haven't, uh, if you weren't here, you should go back and listen to those. He did a two-parter on, on discipleship and family, and, um, and there's some just wonderful things in there. And especially, I think if you, if you grew up in, in a, a, a very clear evangelical context, he, there's some things that he said in there that really can speak to you um, in a way that's, that's even in different than what, I, what I'm gonna be able to talk about and give. So I suggest you go back and listen to those if you haven't. Um, and uh, thank you for doing that, Robert. Um, I feel like there was one more thing I wanted to say, but I think that was it. So this passage uh, in, in Amos, it stuck out to me right away in the lectionary readings. We're not in a sermon series right now. We'll start that back up soon. But um, this stuck out to me. Um, while, while I was away, I, was, I went on a, a silent retreat. And Robert mentioned that in one of his past sermons recently. And um, there were some themes in this passage that really stuck out to me in my, in my time alone. And it, and it reminded me uh, of, of some things that I was reading and, and it reminded me of this idea that uh, sometimes uh, the, the experiences that we have in life, they can, they can seem always like they're on the verge of being satisfying to us, but they seem to just elude us. That's kind of where the title came from. It'll make more sense when bread tastes bitter. But I wonder if you can relate that just real simply to like maybe you've been really looking forward to a movie that came out and, and you were so excited and maybe you went and saw it even by yourself or you watched it at home on HBO Max and you were just really looking forward to this movie and the movie was great. It was really good. But then after the movie's over, you immediately feel like, well, now I got to search for the next thing, the next movie, the next piece of entertainment to fulfill me. But you don't just be like, ah, that was a great movie. I'm fully satisfied and I'm just going to now go to bed and, um, and, and just look forward to the next morning. Sometimes that just doesn't happen. Maybe the same thing with a meal. You're really looking forward to eating something and, and, and you eat that thing and, and afterwards you just start to feel like, ah, uh, that meal was good, but somehow I just have this desire to eat a little bit more or to scroll a little bit longer on my phone or whatever it might be. And, and, and this, this feeling of restlessness. And there's this idea in the culture that we live in, there's this idea that those things, those material things, that entertainment, the amount of money in our bank accounts, that status, that job, that certain number of uh, children in our family, that certain car, those kinds of things that if we could just get to a certain point that it actually would satisfy us. And then the whisper that comes with it, the undercurrent is, but you just haven't gotten there yet. You just haven't gotten there yet. And we can spend our entire lives chasing that completely elusive satisfaction. And I think that's what Amos is talking about in this passage right here. 
So if, if the bread of life, the material goods of life can't satisfy us, it, they can sustain us for a little while, but they can't satisfy us. Then what is it that Amos is pointing to for satisfaction? And then also what are the natural sort of consequences that come about when we chase satisfaction where it can't be found? So in verse, verses one through three, uh, he says, this is what the sovereign Lord showed me, a basket of ripe fruit. And he asks Amos, what do you see? He says, I see a basket of ripe fruit. And the Lord said to him, the time is ripe for my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. So there's this period of time that has been, has been traveling along where certain ways of operating and behaving of the people of Israel that, and, and they've gone without a ripening. So it's, it's a period of time where there's been the sort of the same kind of activities going on for quite a while and, and nothing has really changed. There's been no shift. There's been a, 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 an action, but no reaction. And in this passage, Amos is speaking for God and he's saying that the time for a change is coming, a ripening of this fruit that's been out, the fruit of this type of behavior. And then in verse three, some scary stuff. In that day, declares the sovereign Lord, the songs in the temple will turn to wailing, many, many bodies flung everywhere, and then the word silence. Have, have you ever, as a, as a child or an adult, have you ever you done something and you, and you knew it was wrong and you were scared to get caught, but you kind of also wanted to get caught? Anybody ever? Like, like you, when I was five years old, um, we lived in this tiny little town in Arkansas. You didn't know that, did you, Katie? Where are you? Yeah, we lived in Arkansas for a little bit. And um, I had a squirt gun in the house. And I thought, hey, what will happen if I shoot the light bulb with my squirt gun in my room? And so I shot it. And guess what happened? The, the light popped. It went out. And... I don't remember what time it was, but I know it wasn't bedtime. It's because the sun was still up. But I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to crawl into bed and go to sleep. <laughs> and then maybe I won't get blamed for the light bulb going out. And I didn't. I, I got in bed and I actually fell asleep. And Becky will tell you, frustratingly, that I have a unique ability to fall asleep um, in, in times that are not the time to fall asleep. It's part of my, my dadness coming to full, full fruition. Uh, and so I got up the next day and never heard anything about it. Not even, I, I didn't even hear my parents talk about it in the background. And eventually my light came back on magically because my mom or my dad put a, new, put a new light bulb in there. But there was a tiny part of me as, at five years old that said, huh, the universe isn't as, as clear as I thought it was about cause and effect. Like my parents don't actually see everything. And there are things that I thought I shouldn't be able to get away with that I can actually get away with. Anybody? So that in one sense, you know, you're a teenager, you're sneaking out, you're doing this, that, or the other, and your parents don't catch you, and you're like, oh, that's pretty awesome. I can do whatever I want. I can get away with a lot of things. But also, that's kind of scary. You, know, you ever heard that, that, that analogy? I think this was a, like a, a, a James Dobson analogy or something, and it was a good one, though. And, uh, and he's going down, and he's checking, 
checking that I'm not saying he doesn't have anything good to say, um, but I am saying that was a good one. Um, and he's talking about that a security guard goes down and checks the, the doorknobs to see which ones are locked. And he, and he turns on those doorknobs, not because he wants to go into the doors, but to make sure that they're locked and that children do the same thing. And so there's a sense for us as human beings, this sense of checks and balances that we, we want to be there. And then when we find out that they're not necessarily where we thought they were and we can get away with more than what we thought we could, then sometimes that gets to be a little bit scary because we realize that the universe isn't in the same type of balance that we were made to believe and maybe, maybe on our own. And this is, this is the situation here that Amos is, is commenting on. He's saying, he's, he's saying God shows him this basket of fruit and he's saying, look, it's gone on for a long time, this type of behavior, this taking advantage of the poor and the needy and the marginalized of your society and your people, but it's not going to continue forever. So the, the, the lack of balance that you thought there was in the world that allowed you to do the things that you're doing, things are going to come back into balance. Oftentimes, the prophets call this the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord, the day of reckoning, the day when things will change. And for people experiencing the day of the Lord, it can be one of two things. It can be judgment or freedom. It can be hope and peace, or it can be dread and danger. So he's speaking here of the day of the Lord, depending on which side of the coin that you're on. If you're the oppressed or the oppressor, the day of the Lord can have greatly different consequences. So in verse four, uh, Amos starts to make clear what the actions are of the people as, as this day of judgment is coming. And in verse four, he says this, hear this, you who trample the needy and do away with the poor of the land, saying, when will the new moon be over that we may sell grain and the Sabbath be ended that we may market wheat? skimping on the measure, boosting the price, and cheating with dishonest scales, buying the poor with silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, selling even the sweepings with the wheat. The Lord has sworn by himself the pride of Jacob. I will never forget anything they have done. Woo, that's, that's a little bit different. That's not, that's, that's not the, the God who uh, remembers your sins no more and you just pray the prayer, right? He just said, oh, I'm never gonna forget what you did. Woo, yeah, I didn't, I didn't write that. That's in the Bible, y'all. So what's he talking about here? He's describing a couple of different situations. So one thing, we don't have a new moon festival that, that we um, uh, adhere to in our culture, but this was a very specific and important day. It was a day that all market uh, buying and selling and things like that would cease. And the purpose of that day was singular. There was one singular purpose to that day. It was to wait and hear if a prophet got a word from God to give to the people. That was the whole purpose of the day. And so the people are saying, we can't wait till this day is over so we can go back to making money and making money off of the backs of the poorest of the poor. 
And, and also saying, hey, when is this Sabbath day gonna be over? This day of rest where we by law can't earn money, can't make money. We need this to be over so that we can continue to make money and do things um, that build up our lifestyle at the expense of other people. In, in, uh, in verse, verse six, there's, uh, Amos is discussing buying the poor with silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, selling even the sweepings with the wheat. This sounds a lot like our economy, our culture, where, um, where we don't, we're not allowed to buy people anymore, at least for the past 150 years in the United States. But um, when people are pushed into permanently unemployable positions just based on, on where they are born in life. Did you know that um, there was a statistic, I haven't looked up uh, this statistic recently, but Memphis, if you were born in poverty in Memphis, you had one of the lowest possibilities, I think it was like 3% uh, statistical chance of not dying in poverty. And, and so there's a sense here of, I could give you lots of statistics and stories, but just uh, this idea of buying the poor with silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and selling even the sweepings with the wheat. It's the corner stores that are overcharging things where if you can get out to the nicer places and the nicer stores, you can buy things cheaper. It's the, it's the income gaps, it's the school uh, quality gaps, it's the, uh, it's the private school a monopoly in Memphis. It's, it's so many different things that we see taking place. And Amos leaves his home. He leaves as a shepherd and, uh, and a dresser of sycamore trees. And he goes to the Northern Kingdom. Northern Kingdom of Israel at this time is experiencing so much prosperity, so much wealth is accumulating. People are buying up lots of properties and, and houses and they're getting lots of things. And also the gap between rich and poor is widening dramatically. And Amos hears from God that he needs to, at expense to himself and his, his own work, to go and prophesy uh, to this northern kingdom about this unchecked uh, greed. And the thing that Amos is showing us here is how that can only last for a certain amount of time that eventually the balance will be made right. And that maybe even the universe is set and on tilt that those things eventually are going to work themselves out. So um, in verse eight, he describes the type of judgment. And this is really where we're gonna land for the second half here. I think it's, I think it's really important and it's gonna make it uh, feel like something we can walk away with and say, okay, I understand there, there's a lot of heavy stuff here, but there's something really specific here for me to think about um, in terms of the material kind of world that we're immersed in, where we're in this world of just everything now, everything immediately, everything yesterday, try to satisfy my unsatisfiable hunger for more entertainment and, 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 and more material comforts. Verse eight. Will not the land tremble for this and all who live in it mourn? The whole land will rise like the Nile. It will be stirred up and then sink. It's kind of crash like the river of Egypt. In that day, 
declares the sovereign Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your religious festivals into mourning and all your singing into weeping. I will make all of you wear sackcloth and shave your heads. I will make that time like mourning for an only son and the end of it like a bitter day. I get this picture, it's, it's one that's in the book of Romans, of, of creation groaning and waiting for the, for the new birth of, of these, these, this group of people that will care for one another properly, that will see themselves in the image of God, that Christ hidden in them and hidden in all things, and that they'll respond to one another that way, and that the earth is actually acting and, and revolting because it's not that way. We see the, the Nile rising and crashing. We see sunlight being taken away. And we see that the re religious festivals are an act of, of mourning. But the part that really caught my attention that I think is incredibly and immediately applicable for us is this last part of the judgment. It's not a judgment that you usually hear in the words of the prophets quite like this. So follow along close, closely with me here in these last two verses. Verse 11, the days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land. But it's not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. But a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. It seems to be, at least to Amos, as he's speaking, inspired with the word of God, that the cause of missing out on being able to hear the word of the Lord, the cause of that is the lifestyle that the people of God were living the focus that they had, the way they couldn't rest their appetites, the way they had to consume and get more and more and more and say, well, that's just the way it is. Some people get it, some people don't. What can I do about it? I've got this belly that can't stay full. And he says, yeah, there's gonna be some natural catastrophes, but you're probably not too worried about that because you can just kind of move and do different things because you're, you're financially stable. You're financially capable of navigating those disasters and uh, leaving uh, New Orleans or, or some other place where those things are, are taking place. But here's something that's going to be inescapable. This is the natural course of things is you will find yourself desirous of the one thing that could satisfy you and it eludes you. The life-giving word of God. There's a, a, a darkness that he describes that at, at, at noon it will become dark. There's this idea of enlightening things being taken away. Right? There's that metaphor of being enlightened to be able to see clearly and that being based on the, the knowledge and the insight that you have. And that's leaving here. The word of the Lord is gone and people are searching and they can't find it. I think about actually, you, you, you heard of the term the dark ages. It's not like we're going back to the dark ages. You ever said something like that? I know I probably have. Well, the dark ages was first coined by this guy, uh, Francesco 
Petrarca. And he was a 14th century Italian scholar. So for those of you who are a little rusty on your history, that's roughly, you know, around 100 years before what we call the, the uh, Renaissance period took place in Europe. And, and he looked back at the fifth century in Europe all the way up to that point and said, these have been the dark ages because he saw little scientific and cultural advancement in the documents that he saw. Now, this idea actually doesn't stand up to scrutiny for most medieval scholars, like just regular old secular medieval scholars. I say, it's not true at all. It's, that's, that's, there, there was tons of all kinds of amazing cultural achievements happening in that day. But this man, through his lens, he looked back and he saw this vast period of time and he, he deemed it the Dark Ages, from his lens, he looked back and there was no enlightenment there. There was, there was no pro productivity in human culture as he saw it. But actually in, in the world of Amos and in, in, in our world today, I think that if someone was to look back uh, from the future into our time, they might say something similar, but with a different type of lens. They might say, I can't believe those people had so much. They had so much culture. They had so much scientific advancement. They could have healed everything wrong with the world with the knowledge that they had of science and, and being able to, to eat and produce certain kinds of food and almost eliminate famines and other things if they applied themselves to it. But instead, it was tragic. It was dark. There was so much disparity. It was just all the resources continued to make the rich richer and the poor poor. And why couldn't they see what we see so clearly now? I imagine that person as a, 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 a mystical monk who knows the love of God and sees the love of God present in his culture and his people looking back at us and saying, why did they care so much about the rise in price of Netflix and gas? Why were they so, why was that the thing they were most concerned about? Or this law or that law that, granted has lots of consequence, but man, they had so much they could have done and they didn't. And I say this, you know, we got like one hour a week at, at church and then and, and the rest of the time we're being flooded with the message of like, you can get satisfied on this stuff. It will satisfy you just need a little bit, just a little bit, just a little bit more. But the prophets cry out, Amos cries out, Moses cries out, Jesus cries out. We can't live by bread alone. We can't live by bread alone. The tricky part is that we can't live by bread alone. We need bread to live. Without it, we die. We need to have a house, a roof over our heads. We need a job. We need those types of things. And so it's so subtle. It's so difficult then when it's like, but how much do I need? Where does the line stop? And the interruption comes with the words of Jesus saying, man does not live by bread alone. We do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Uh, the scholar Miroslav Volf, he's a Croatian Protestant theologian. He, he works at uh, uh, Yale 
University. He's described as a theological bridge builder. And while I was on my silent retreat, uh, his book, one of his books was, was the only thing I, was, I read while I was there. And, and he talks about this dilemma in a, in a globalized world where success and your mood is kind of like, it's based on like, oh, the Dow Jones, it goes up, my mood goes up, and if it doesn't, I go down. Like we measure success as, as uh, countries, um, as individuals based on material goods. How much of it do we have? How much of it can we afford? How much of it can we sell at a higher cost than what we bought it for? That's kind of the main thing that our global market economy, all those things, are for. That's, that's the, the end goal of it. And, and what he does is he talks about the effects of that, the impact of that. It's the same thing Amos is talking about. What kind of world did that lead to? And he's got this passage that I want to read, and it's going to be on the screen. And he talks about this idea of when we live by bread alone, what does it look like? What happens? When we live by bread alone, there is never enough bread not even enough when we make so much of it that some of it rots away. When we live by bread alone, someone always goes hungry. When we live by bread alone, uh, I got a typo there. Yeah, what word is that? Every bite we take leaves a bitter taste, and the more we eat, the more bitter the taste. When we live by bread alone, we always want more and better bread, as if the bitterness came from the bread itself and not from our living by bread alone. Living by mundane realities and for them alone, we remain restless, and that restlessness in turn contributes to competitiveness, social injustice, and the destruction of the environment as well as constitutes a major obstacle to a more just, generous, and caring set of personal practices and social arrangements. Bread's not bad. We need it. God blesses it. We're about to eat blessed bread in a moment and drink. Entertainment's not bad. But when our focus gets off of what we were made for, because we were made for a transcendent relationship with a living God. When our focus gets off of that and we begin to imagine that those things can bring us true satisfaction, we ravage the world. We ravage ourselves and we ravage the world. C.S. Lewis, uh, prominent uh, 20th century writer and theologian, he said, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. So these, these, these prophets of Amos's day, they, they, were, they were preaching and and saying all these things that we're talking about, everything's good, everything's fine. Just pray these prayers, live this life, and God's gonna bless you and give you more stuff. But it didn't satisfy then, it doesn't satisfy now. And if we don't look up, 
if we don't look to the greater expanse, the transcendence of our lives, the things that we were designed not ever to find satisfaction without, we ravage the world. And so, so this passage, it concludes with, with people running in different directions, looking for the word of the Lord and not finding it. And what they could find anywhere are professional prophets, people who went to the school of, of prophet, but they are saying very nationalistic messages of, of prosperity, of sameness, of there's not gonna be any bad stuff that's gonna happen. There's not gonna be any wailing in the sanctuaries. God loves everything you're doing. You're good. Just keep going. Just keep moving in that direction. Only blessings are in your future. Blessings, blessings, more and more blessings. God wants you to have more and more stuff more and more money to line your pockets. And Amos makes a distinction because when he's up there prophesying, they say, hey, prophet, go earn your bread somewhere else. You're not even from here. We can tell by your Southern accent. He's like, y'all, God's coming. They say, go earn your bread somewhere else. And Amos says, I, I'm not here to earn bread. I got a business back home. I'm here because this is what God told me to tell y'all. See, y'all are listening to a bunch of prophets. You're listening to the word of God, but that ain't God. Here's another thing I think is so tricky about this in our, in our culture, in our time. We've all got Bibles everywhere, don't we? We got, we got Bibles on our phones. You can have, I got probably three, four different apps of my preferred translations and interface on my, on my phone. We got pewback Bibles everywhere like, Jamin, we don't have that problem. We can find God's word any, anywhere. We could just pull up the Bible and read it. And mm, I did my devotional for the day. And I can move on with the buying and selling and, and chasing after those other things. The, the scary thing is, in that type of context, the Bible can, can just be the same. It could just be another thing to consume. It could be another thing that's immediately there for us. It can even cease to be the word of God because of what we're bringing to it, what we want out of it, what we're trying to make it. We're trying to subdue it and make it something that just gives us the success the rest of the world is telling us to look for and to get, and that's gonna satisfy us. Oh, it is very possible for us to be without the word, the living word of God with Bibles everywhere. Oh, it is so easy for that to take place. As, as we're coming to, to the close of this, here's, here's what I, I wanna draw your, your attention back to. God shows Amos a basket of fruit He's like, what do you see? It's, well, it's a basket of ripe fruit, right? So inherent in that one image is the passage of time and how at different times, there's different things that are appropriate for that time. Our culture, our, our globalized, capitalist, market-driven, bread-hungry culture doesn't acknowledge time. We don't slow down. We don't stop. We don't stop consuming every day as a day to buy and sell, to make a little bit more, to get another degree, to try harder, to consume, to get that satisfaction. Every day, every day is like that. 
there's a shift here of being able to see that there are different times for different things. There, there are different times in our life. There are times, as it says in Ecclesiastes, there's a time to weep and a time to laugh in Ecclesiastes 3, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, them a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. So this is the thing that the people of Amos and, 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 and us today, me today, is what I need to remember. As someone who can't be satisfied by bread alone, I can stop. I can stop looking for the bread. I can rest. I can be. I don't have to keep up with everybody else. Jesus said it like this, seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added unto you. We're physical people desirous of a transcendent experience and a transcendent God. When we remember that, we can stop. We can reflect. We can think about the choices that we're making beyond the consumption that never stops, that never satisfies. Otherwise, just like the goods that don't satisfy, we just keep searching to and fro looking for that word that's gonna justify what we're doing. And what we need is to stop, to breathe to disengage from the rat race. When I was on that silent retreat, I knew it was gonna be hard for me because I went into it um, without, like, I wasn't gonna plan to read a bunch of books or anything. I read part of that, that Moslav, uh, Moroslav Wolf text, and that was about it. And I decided I was just gonna, like, sit and see what all anxieties came up in me. I was really scared to do that. And a lot of anxiety came up. There was a sense of aloneness. And I was in this huge retreat center, huge. And there was nobody else there because the other, like a big group had planned to be there and they'd canceled probably because a bunch of them got COVID. Um, and so I was in this giant re retreat center completely alone. You know, I didn't bring my phone or laptop or there's no TVs or anything like that. It's just alone. I stopped. And that was the point. That's, that's, all, that's all I got about that right now. <laughs>